All right, let's take our Bibles this morning then and turn to Psalm 4. Psalm chapter 4. Psalm 4. As we step out of the New Testament for a couple of weeks, we'll be doing a couple of Psalms, and then we will again take up uh, 2 Thessalonians. We will start that book after finishing 1 Thessalonians, and we should get through that by the end of summer. And then we'll probably dive into Romans and probably spend a couple of years there. So you will, you will simply have to only bring Romans for the next year, couple of years as we will wear out that part of our Bibles as we study what God has to say there. Read along with me as I read God's inerrant word this morning. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Zelah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Zila. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Join with me in prayer this morning as we pray before we walk our way through this text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us. And we thank you that you have communicated to us so that we might know you. And so this morning, again, I pray that you would speak through your word. Your Holy Spirit would teach us and that we might know more of you, that we might know you more intimately, and that we might be conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of your grace, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we live in a time where we would say if we were to look around in society that anxiety is high. Maybe it's higher than it's ever been. We have left any semblance of what we would understand to, ha- to have absolute truth. People have no longer have anything to hang on to. Because if nothing is true, how do we actually know what is right? And how do we know how to function? How do we know who we are? And because there is no truth, therefore we, everything is true or nothing is true, and therefore it's hard to find your footing in life. And we have multiple voices pushing us in multiple directions, and of course that only what increases our stress level. Now as for believers, we actually have the Word of God, and we actually have a foundation to, li- to work from. 
We have the absolute truth, the eternal truth of the word of God that is unchanging. It is non-negotiable and we can plant our feet there. So when circumstances come into our lives and things become difficult, we actually have a grid to put it through. We have truth to put it through and we know where we stand. And David here is writing a psalm of of prayer to God and it's called an evening prayer of trust in God. Now, we don't know exactly what the circumstances are that David is facing here. Some attach it to Psalm 3, which was in the, in the wake of Absalom chasing him around the country to take his kingship. Others have tied it to other incidents or life happenings of David. But David, as he writes this song, is completely confident because he's confident in God. He sees the circumstances and he sees his adversaries and he sees those who are after him and yet he is completely putting his trust in God. And he looks beyond his circumstances and he looks beyond his troubles and he looks and he raises his eyes to God. And, Paul, and, and David really gives us an example here of how we are to respond when troubles come, when anxiety is upon us, when adversaries are around us, when where there are troubles in life. What do I do? How do I handle it? How do I actually take what we, you know, poke the pin into the balloon so the pressure's gone instead of it continuing to build? And David gives us that example as he responds in this evening prayer to the Lord. In fact, David will give us a proper response. He'll give us a proper preparation and a proper perspective that if we will follow along with David, will will help us to do what he said at the very end of this. Lay down and sleep. Lay down and sleep. Because our anxieties will be gone. The pressures will be gone. Our fears will be gone. Now one thing we do know is for sure is that as David speaks here, there are those who are out to get him. He says, how long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? There are those who are coming after David with false accusations. They are coming after him with worthless speech. They may be after his life. But as he comes here, David begins and he prays to God. And in this evening prayer, he gives us the proper way that we should perceive our troubles. And if we are like David, we too will lie down and sleep. Now you'll notice, first of all, he says, we see a proper response. A proper response. It's interesting that as David sees the troubles and the trials and those adversaries coming after him, the first thing that he does is he turns to the Lord. And he says, answer me when I call, O God of righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear me. So David calls on God in his distress. In the original, he really says, when I call, answer me. 
And so David in his trouble turns to the Lord. It's interesting because how often when we get into trouble, how often when circumstances come against us, when people come against us, do we turn to our own defense? Because our first response, if someone says something against us or somebody does something against us and somebody is, is coming after us, what is the first thing we do? I've got to fix this, right? I, I've got I've 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 to be the one who gets this wrong turned around. I'll get someone to help me. I'll figure this out. And yet David when he is confronted by his adversaries, he doesn't jump to his own defense. He turns to God. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. This is my God. Now notice David's, David calls God my righteousness. Or he says, God of my righteousness. And, and, and you'll notice that David, as he calls here, he actually uses the word Elohim for God. He uses the word Elohim and, and he says, and he's very deliberate with his choice of, of what he calls God. He doesn't use God's covenant name here. He uses the word Elohim. It's a broad name for God. And he says, I am turning to the God Elohim because I, I recognize and I emphasize his power, his reign over the universe and heavens. And David says, I invoke Elohim, the God, the creator God who is all-powerful, the one who's in control of all life events. He controls everything, he, everything in the universe. And David right away recognizes that when he is in trouble, when his adversaries had come against him, he is dependent upon God. He can't fix this. this is, he can't be the one who ultimately gets himself out of this. But he expresses complete trust in Elohim, in God himself. And so he turns and he turns to the place where he knows there is a God who is powerful enough, who controls every part of life events and recognizes that it is only there that he can have his prayers answered. It is only there that he can be spared from his troubles. And so David turns to God, and, and David and God is, God is David's resource. David calls out for God to answer him, and, and he says in this verse, I call on Elohim, the God of my righteousness. And he speaks directly to God here. This is a direct address. And, and da David states in the most boldest way in the, in the Hebrew language here, in the Hebrew, it's actually an imperative form. He, he's saying in, his, in a very forceful way, Lord, answer me. David is only, God is David's only resource and he turns to him and he basically says, you need to answer me. David knows that God knows that him through and through and he will provide a credible response to his adversaries. 
to those who are accusing those, to those who are coming after him, those who are trying to defame him. He turns to the only place that he can go. God then is also David's righteousness. It's interesting here because he says, God of my righteousness. He's not saying here that God is righteous, but he is saying that God is David's righteousness, my righteousness. In other words, God is the one who ha- in whose righteousness David stands. This is a righteousness given to David. There's a relationship here. It's a relational righteousness. In other words, God is my righteousness. In other words, when I am accused, when adversaries come against me, God is my righteousness. In other words, God champions the rights of his people. That's astounding. Because you are in God's righteousness, when you came to salvation, you stand in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, God now is what? On your side. He champions your righteousness. He champions your rights. God doesn't just know about David's predicament. Here he just doesn't say, okay, I recognize it. But God says he will what? Defend David against his adversaries. No matter the attack on, of, on us, God will defend us. Now we must recognize we have the same God as David. David is God's king. God has a covenant with David. God is not done with David, and yet, and David knows that God will what? Be on his side. And you must recognize, as you stand in righteousness and do what is right, God is on your side. He is is for you. He stands in approval of you and he defends you. And so we could say this, if you have a clear a conscience, no matter what comes against you, where people make accusations, people try to come after you because you're a believer, because you stand for the things of God, guess what? If you're standing in right standing with God, then you can stand there where, with the clear conscience, knowing that regardless of the circumstances around you, that God is on your side and that you are doing right. And so you stand in the righteousness of God as you do right in obedience to him. You're doing God's will and therefore ultimately no matter who opposes you, you will ultimately win. Maybe not here on this earth, but you know that in eternity we win. So David says, answer when I call, O God of my righteousness. I I can make this bold statement because I what? I, I know you stand on my side. I know that you are for me. He says this, you're my relief. He says, you have relieved me in my distress. 
You have made room for me in my distress. Is literally in tightness you have given me faith. You have given me room. And David, you'll notice this. He says, look at the tense here. You what have relieved me. In other words, David here is confident in his prayer because he knows God is for him. And how does he know that God is for him? Because God has already in the past provided relief for him. He's already given him space. You can almost see if, if this is following Absalom where he, his enemies have camped around him and are squeezing in him, on him. And God has what? Provided a way, given him space. And so too we have been given space. God is the one who David says, I, I, I look back and I see where God has already worked for me in the past. God has already provided a way for me. And I see God's faithfulness and therefore I recognize that he will answer my prayer. Because he, he will answer my prayer because I stand in his righteousness and his righteousness and his right is on my side and he has already proved that in the past. And then David, maybe for our sake, almost pulls back a little bit and he says, God is my redeemer. He says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And David recognizes, though he boldly comes before him and, and gives his request to God and comes into his presence recognizing God is on his side, at the same time it is by grace that God answers his prayer. In other words, be gracious, be kind, favorable, treat me in a way where I, that I, is, I am not deserving. I don't deserve it. And even though David thought he was completely without fault, he still knew that he rested upon God's grace. It was not something that he had earned. Hear my prayer. Be gracious to me in what? Hear my prayer. This is an anthropomorphism. It's not that God has ears and that he's closing them, but the idea here is not just that God hears the request, I heard what you said, but he's saying, Lord, answer my prayer. Put that grace into work so that it is answered. In other words, be inclined to answer that prayer that I have prayed to you. And so as David begins this psalm, he begins with this confident prayer this proper response David is not is not in a panic David prays goes to the place where he knows his answers prayers can be answered because he stands with the righteousness of a God who is on his side who has already been faithful to him and who will hear his prayer well, we serve the same God that David did. We serve the same God that David did. And we know that the only place that we can go when troubles and trials come is to God because he's the only one who can overcome our troubles. 
we know that he is on our side and that this is something to rejoice in. God is not an angry God. God is not a hostile God. God is not a reluctant God, but he is a God who, who go, is for his people. He's the one who brings relief. Maybe not in the way that we would like, but he brings it and he hears our prayers. Well, after that proper response, David now has a proper preparation of his heart. Now, it's interesting because as David has prayed in verse 1, there's almost like a recognition as he goes into verse 2 that if God answers his prayer, it's not good news for his enemies. If God answers his prayer in verse 1, it's not good for his enemies. And so David now, in concern for those who are opposing him, he is God's king, he's God's chosen one. He now really begins to give an exhortation to those who are against him. And in that exhortation, we will see how to properly prepare our hearts so that we don't have anxiety. And though he's speaking here to those who are opposed to God, it certainly applies to us as well that we need, if we follow these steps, that we will ultimately, what? Have relief. So David begins, O sons of men, and again, if we were to, you look at that word men, it's actually son of man. Sons of man. And the idea here is they are all sons of one man, which ultimately makes this man, these men elite. It's not that they are the elite of society. Maybe the, maybe the nobles, the elders. But these are elite. They're elevated in social rank. And David says, O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? David is God's king and they are, his adversaries are coming after him, whether it's Absalom, whether it's other nobles who are, who are now coming after David and they are trying to take his kingly glory from him. They are trying to cut him down. How long will I be a reproach? How long will you come after me? How long, he says, will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? They love empty words, worthless words, empty things, words that have no worth. The idea here is, it's in the imperfect, so it's the idea that these words will go on and on and on. They, they They just say things and they babble and they go on against him. And in fact, not only do they make up stories here, but, the, but enemies also what? Aim at deception. They're lying. Now, they're not lying by accident. They're not telling things that they think are true, but they are actively against David. They are, act, act, they, they are actively telling lies about him. And so David says, how long will you love that? How long will you be in worthless, do what is worthless and aim at deception? How long will you continue to lie against God's anointed? And so David, after after calling them here, now gives them the keys on how they are to change. How, How can they get to where David is now in his confidence in God? He says this, tremble and do not sin. 
Meditate on, in your heart upon your bed. Be still. And so David says, here's, here's what you need to do. Tremble and do not sin. Some of your Bibles say, be angry and sin not. This word has, has a, a variety of meanings. The idea is to be agitated at the bottom. Don't be, be agitated and worked up. Some have said, because Paul has quoted this in the New Testament, and, it, and he says, be angry and sin not, that this, this is speaking about their anger against God. But there's no, in context here, there's no reason to, to bring anger into the context. And I think the proper translation here is tremble. And David is saying to those who are opposing him, tremble, in other words, tremble before God and do not sin. In other words, the fear of the Lord is what makes people stay away from sin. And he says, this is the remedy for the condition that you're in. You need to tremble. You need to fear the Lord and do not sin. In other words, the fear of the Lord is what keeps people from what? Sinning. Now, what do we mean by the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord is, is, is a holy reverence for him that keeps us from being disobedient to him and keeps us desiring not to disappoint him and anger him by sinning. Now, I also want to say, people want to put the fear of the Lord as if we want to take all fear out of it at all. And I think you're going too far. Because if you're living in disobedience to God, you should be in fear. You should be in real fear. Right? And even for the believer, we should fear the, the, the judgment of God and the fact that he disciplines his own. And ultimately, if we continue in sin, we demonstrate that ultimately we're not his. So there should be a healthy fear. God is holy and righteous and powerful. But David says to his enemies, fear the Lord. Recognize who he is and don't sin. In other words, you, you need to stop your sinning because you fear the Lord. He says, meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. In other words, at nighttime, when you lay on your bed, I want you to meditate in your heart upon the truths that I have said here. Who God is and his truths. Meditate on the fear of the Lord and the need to obedience and the need to change from sin. And he says, meditate in your heart. Again, the word heart is speaking of, of your mind, your inner being as you, as you ponder in your bed and be still. Now it's interesting because if you look at some sleep studies, we know this. When you go to bed and you are just in those few moments before you fall asleep, your mind becomes very creative. Your mind becomes very creative. Now, David didn't do sleep studies, but the Lord knows the human body. He created you. 
And in those moments, often as we fall asleep, you'll be mulling on a problem and all of a sudden what? There comes the answer. There comes the answer. And David in some sense is saying to these people who are opposing him, I want you to think about this in new ways, in new options. In other words, I want you to see your behavior and the way it's been, and I want you to see how you need to be, how you've been living and how you should live. And I want you to consider it. You need to be alone in your heart, in your own thoughts. In other words, this has to be apart from distraction, apart from others, but it needs to be you who are thinking this through. Now, you've heard me rail often that one of our problems today is we are overly stimulated. We never actually have time to be in our own thoughts. We spend most of our time being stimulated with music, internet, television. I don't know what all you have. But the thing is, is that we are completely stimulated. When I was growing up, you used to watch somebody at the bus stop and they used to sit there and they would flop and they would look around and they were... Now, I, I don't see anybody face, anybody's face at the bus stop because we're all like this, right? You talk to somebody and the minute that you, 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 you put that period on the end of the sentence, they're gone. And we have no ability to think. And Paul says... This is, I mean, David says, this is what's necessary here. This is why it's contemplation on your bed, because this is a time where you need to be thinking this through and meditating on these truths yourselves. Be still. Think about them. Be uninterrupted. He says, this is the way back to God. This is the way to be confident in him. This is what you need. And then verse 5 is really a product of verse 4. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in God. In other words, change the, there's a change of, of behavior here, a change of activity, a change of attitude. The implication here is offer sac- sacrifices of righteousness is that they've already been a- offering sacrifices, but they're not righteous. Now they must act, offer sacrifices of righteousness which are what? Pleasing to God. These are, these are now they must come to, before him with a pure heart. They must give him righteous sacrifices which are acceptable to him. And so he says, listen, Tremble, meditate on the truth. Having that truth changing you, ultimately offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Now follow after God with a whole heart. Love Him with all your heart, mind, and soul. Now live in obedience to Him. And then he simply adds, and trust in the Lord. Now He is the one that you put your trust in. He's the one that you follow. He's the one that you are to come and follow. So David says in Psalm 59, 51, 19, 
Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole offerings. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. God wants worship. He wants proper worship. He wants to be worshipped in the way that he desires to be worshipped. And therefore, to trust in him. Trust in him in all life circumstances, in all of our problems. And though David is really making a call to salvation here, we recognize that even we as believers sometimes need to go back and fear the Lord. Sometimes we need to recognize our need to put away sin, that we must meditate on the truths of God's word and offer sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. And when we do that, we ultimately will have the peace and joy that David has. We will have the trust in God and we will be able to pray with confidence like David. Well, we've seen the proper response, the proper preparation of the heart, and then he says a proper perspective. A proper perspective. And again, David is, as he's gone through this psalm, he's kind of like he's had kind of three thoughts, where are three conversations in his head, and now he comes to this third one. And he says, many are saying, who will show us any good? Who will show us any good? In other words, David are things going to turn out for us? This is probably most likely either some of those who have turned from the camp in the verses before or have been following David and they're discouraged. How, how is this going to turn out? We've been following you, David, and your adversaries are growing strong. Things are difficult. You've been under accusation. How, how will this turn out well? And David turns and says... Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. And David really referring back to to that blessing of Aaron for the people in in Numbers 6.24, where it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And here David shortens it and he prays and he says, here's here's the solution. This is how I know it's going to turn out right because I'm praying to God that he will lift the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. In other words, he's asking for God's blessing. And he says, it is in God's presence and in in his presence with you that things will be okay. In other words, when God lifts his countenance upon you, lift the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord, he is crying out to Yahweh, the covenant God who has covenanted with them, that he will do good for them, that he will bless their obedience. And David says, the, the source of our security, the source of our hope is in the Lord. He is the one. It it is necessary for his presence and his blessing to be upon us. And so David says, yes, it will turn out well. Why? Because God's presence and blessing will be upon us. Then he says in verse 7, you have put gladness in my heart. 
Now notice this again. You have put gladness in my heart. In other words, David has looked at the truths that that have been already presented. And he has seen that he is in, in God's blessing. He has God's righteousness. And he says, in spite of all of my circumstances, you, God, you're the one who did it. You're the one who sovereignly put gladness or joy in my heart. This is a supernatural joy. This is a divine joy. This is not something that can come from anywhere, but is produced by God in our hearts as we have been what? Entrusting to him, as we have meditated on his truths, as we have recognized who he is, what he has promised us, that he will make it come true. Then we have what? A satisfaction and contentment of soul. David says, you have put this gladness in my heart. I have it. And you know what? It's more than when their grain and their new wine abound. Now notice this. There's a couple of things I want us to notice. First of all, he says there. There. Speaking of his enemies who have wine and grain. They have resources that David doesn't have. And he says, I have joy in my heart more than the grain and new wine abound. Now we put that in perspective. For that culture that was agricultural, this was Christmas, New Year's, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, every holiday that you can basically wrapped into one. Because when there was harvest, that meant we ate next year. That means we had money to, to provide for the family. This was a, a massive celebration because it wasn't just a celebration of an event as such, but it was also a celebration of survival and God's goodness. And he says, In, I have something greater than the world's standard of success that brings joy and happiness. It's not in physical things. It's a joy of the Lord that is produced in my heart because of my relationship with him. It's something that absolutely defies reality. Because I am, I am, I have a joy and everybody would look at my circumstances and say, but he's got no grain, he's got no wine. How can he be joyful? How can he be rejoicing? Because my trust is in the Lord. This is where my value is, not in those things. Then he says, in peace, I both lie down and sleep. He says, I have the peace of the Lord. My soul is at rest. God has produced a joy and a peace. And he says, in peace I both lie down and sleep. The the word both is actually the word together. And the emphasis is this. David didn't lay down and say, man alive, I've got problems. He didn't lay awake scheming and upset. He didn't have a knot in his gut. He says, I lay down and I slept. In other words, I didn't lay awake. 
I didn't have to sit here and ponder all the difficulties. Because God had produced supernatural joy in me, because he had given me peace, I lay down and I slept. I didn't lay awake. I didn't lay awake and worry and wonder and hope. I just slept. And then David explains it. For you alone, O Lord, you, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, the one who's made promises to me, the same God that we have, the same God that saved us, the same God that put us under the new covenant, the same God who, who said he would save us and keep us and that all things would work together for good for them that love him. That same Lord, he said, made me dwell in safety. He made me in security. And David says, I am so convinced of God's goodness and his character and of his faithfulness and his promises that God's protection is enough for me. God's protection is enough for me. I dwell in security and safety. And so guess what? David is not out of his circumstances. David is not out of his troubles. But David can lay down and sleep because the joy and the peace of the Lord have so gripped him because he's been living in obedience to the Lord, desiring what God wants, knowing who God is for and on his side. He says, listen, nothing can happen to me that God does not allow. And you know what? I may lose here on earth. I for us, David knew that he was still God's king and he knew that God still had time for us. But as believers, we don't know what God has for us on this earth, but we know that all things work together for them that love God, for them who are called according to his purpose. Why? Because God says, actually, all things work together for good for them that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Because ultimately, at the end of all of that, and we like to put that in everyday circumstances, he says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he what? He also glorified. You are as good as in heaven. And if our value system is pleasing God and our value system is understanding that our, our ultimate destiny is conform, conformity to the image of Jesus Christ perfectly as we are glorified in his presence in eternity and we live on the new heaven and the new earth, then what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? Because our God has promised that. And so we too can have confidence in God and we can go to him in prayer and we can recognize that because of who he is and what he has promised us in salvation, that we can have joy and peace no matter what the circumstances are. Because we will not only get out of these circumstances through death, but we will also go to the great circumstances of being conformed to the image of his son and in eternity with him.
Let us pray with confidence. When trouble comes, when trials come, when accusations come, we need to be like David, to put our trust in God. It's interesting that David, even in his adversity, was concerned about those who opposed him. How easy it is for us to despise those who despise us. And yet David's concern was for their soul. How much more should we in adversity be praying for those who, who are bringing the adversity against us? David did. And he desired for them the same thing that he had, the peace of God. He trusted God. Let us be those who so follow after God that his values become ours. And when adversity hits, that we turn to him, recognizing he is the source. He's the one who brings help. And he's the one who produces joy and peace in our lives. That we might actually enjoy life here until he takes us home. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its richness. We thank you for its deepness. And we thank you for this reminder this morning of David as he turned to you in time of trouble, as he faced adversaries who were against him, and he put his trust in you. I pray that we would be those who would quickly turn to you. That we would recognize that you are moving all things for your glory and for our good. And I pray that we would have a heavenly mind. Pray that we too would experience that joy and that peace in our hearts because we have put our full trust in you. I pray this in your name. Amen.